Today's scripture is found in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 11. And it's dealing with Paul's suffering. Let's express our gratitude to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is most gracious and compassionate towards us and who is the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles, so we in turn can comfort others in their troubles as we share with them the comfort we receive from God. Just as we have a share in Christ's suffering, so through Christ our Father gives us the same comfort he gave Christ. If we have been afflicted, it was for you. If we have been comforted by God in our troubles, it was for your sake. We want you to draw strength and comfort from our experience as you face some of the same difficulties that we have. Our hope and confidence in you is firm. We know that if you're having the same troubles we're having, you'll receive the same comfort from God that we're receiving. My brothers, I want to let you know about some of the problems we've had in Asia Minor. We've had to face such hardships that our strength gave way, and we wondered whether we'd make it through alive. We were so far gone, we felt certain we would die. But this only made us lean more on God, who can raise the dead if he decides to do so. In the past, he has saved us from being killed. This time, he saved our bodies from giving way. And we have confidence that in the future, he will continue to do for us what he thinks is best. Do pray for us so that when our trials are all over, many will give thanks to God for the strength he granted us because of you. We had a 1970 uh, Toyota Land Cruiser, white top, green, kind of ugly, gray wheels, gray interior, column shift. Some of you remember those beasts. They, they, 250,000 miles was a break-in point for those vehicles. They just kind of went and went and went and went. But I can remember uh, in the evenings riding home with my dad sometimes or after church and we'd get going faster and faster down the final stretch of the road uh, toward home. And he would always say, it's like the horses running to the barn. Some of you have heard that expression. Well, when times get tough, it's kind of funny because Adventist horses want to run to the barn. And it's really interesting to me because all of a sudden, our own interest and sort of the world's interest goes way, 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 way up in Daniel and Revelation and apocalyptic literature. As if somehow re-understanding or understanding those prophecies would change the facts of today's circumstances or an understanding where they might sit, bring us into saving relationship with Christ. It's a reset that I just don't quite relate to or understand because while I can know about of time and trouble, all that can do is give me dread and fear and hopelessness as I think about the agonies to come. What it doesn't do for me is put me into saving and relieving and hopeful relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean we shouldn't study these things? Not at all. Better to study them before the crisis comes. And if we failed to do that, better to study them now.
as the crisis seems to be coming. The other thing I can never figure out is that whenever something really starts to look bad, everybody starts talking about how Jesus is coming must be right around the corner. Now, I've got news for you. It's always been right around the corner. You're one heartbeat away from the coming of Jesus Christ. That means that aneurysm you didn't know about or that heart condition can be the moment. That means that that speeding drunk down Lyons Avenue who doesn't stop at the light can be your moment. That means that you can be caught anytime, anywhere. It also means that this may in fact finally be the cycle. I am never one to say it isn't happening, but I'm cautious about saying it is. So I'm not that old, but I do remember the 70s. I've probably told some of you this before, but I can remember praying at nine years old, just terribly worried that the world was coming to an end and sure that I would never see maturity. Gas prices had reached an unbelievable 52 cents a gallon. There were lines around the blocks to buy gasoline. There was a huge shortage. There was talk of gasoline reaching upwards of a dollar in price. People were terrified. The evangelists were out with their charts and their graphs. I see you smiling. Any of you have this experience? Uh-huh. Okay. So I'm, I'm preaching to the choir now. Do you remember? I mean, Carter, what a wonderful, spiritual, great guy. And I think we all thought he was a pretty bad president at the time. I, at least that was what my family thought. And I didn't really have an opinion of my own. I now think he's one of the greatest people who's ever, ever lived, really, in American polity. He's, he is such a man of God and so ethical and so profoundly influential and so capable of using his wonderful influence for good in the world, and he does so regularly. And I'm deeply affected by um, his thoughtfulness and his words, but I, I didn't, like most of America, I wasn't real excited about his presidency at the time. So... I mean, you know, it was a troubled time. We were giving away the Panama Canal. Uh, we had this huge crisis in, was it Afghanistan? No, Iran, thank you. With the failed hostage rescue and all, do you, you know, you remember? It was, I wasn't very old, but it was, it was a big deal. And we had, um, had double-digit inflation. Some people were paying 11% on mortgage rates, 13 even. Does that sound familiar? There were bankruptcies and foreclosures. Things were just going crazy. And there was no way I was going to reach adulthood. Jesus was going to come. I wasn't going to get to turn 18. I wasn't going to be able to drive a car or vote or get married or any of the good stuff that went with that. Um, you know, it was just... The end was upon us. People's hearts were failing them for fear. Jesus talks in Matthew and he talks in Luke about the end. And a lot of what was said in those chapters talks about the destruction of Jerusalem and what was coming in 70 AD and the horror that rained down upon the Jews there at that time from the Roman Empire. But there's a secondary 
fulfillment or application as well. And there's talk about those signs that are going to be fulfilled before the Son of Man comes. Stars and moon and sky changing in various ways and so forth. You know those prophecies and those words. In Luke 21, 26, Jesus says, men are going to drop dead of heart attacks for fear. That's what it says. Some of the various versions soften that up. Uh, King James punches it pretty good. NIV kind of, you know, men faint from fear. Well, I don't think so. I mean, they're just really overcome with terror, according to the scriptures. And I see anxiety rising around me. I feel it a little myself, so I know that if I'm not immune, you're not immune. You read the news and stocks rallied 400 points today on news that something, and then by the end of the day, they've lost 380 points to their 400-point rally, and the next day we're down again 300 points. And uh, then there's bad news on this front, and jobs are being cut, and now news from the... Um, retail sector and so forth and so on and it looks like we're headed to some really seriously tough times and in a world economy you know i don't understand all the relationships but england has had its own trouble do you realize that in england they've borrowed 1.71 pounds per one pound of income and that in the united states we've borrowed 1.35 dollars against a dollar of income we are nations of debt. Time to pay the piper. China owns so much of our debt. And all these other countries who are invested globally are having serious repercussions from the fallout. People are talking about the national valuation and home loss alone being in the trillions, tens of trillions of dollars. It's a cash crisis. Yeah, a few years ago, I had no idea if anything could happen that quickly. You know, we're always told final events would be rapid ones, right? I just, it, I didn't see a way really in which that could happen very, uh, very quickly. It seems to me there's always instability somewhere, always a famine or shortfall somewhere, always uh, an environmental issue somewhere. There's always something. And it, now it looks like we're in the middle of what could be the perfect storm confluence of all of these things turn to daniel 12 most of you know this passage it's after the story of the battles of the kings of the north and kings of the south verse 1 says at that time michael the great prince who protects your people will arise there will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. Have you heard of the time of trouble which has never been? And do you hear the words of Jesus, men, men's hearts failing them for fear? I don't know what your story is. It's really hard to be globally connected. You have spreading problems from Afghanistan to Pakistan. Pakistan is a nuclear power. India is a nuclear power. We haven't found Osama bin Laden yet. We've got war in Iraq. Many Americans are questioning the purpose for which we went in. 
we've gotten rid of, what's his name? Saddam Hussein. Insane, I could always just get that confused. But we haven't created complete stability there yet, and the costs to the American people in terms of military and dollars are enormous. We've got instability in Africa with continued genocide in Darfur, problems with food in Ethiopia. We've got problems in, in uh, growing problems in oil-bearing countries like Angola, where Chinese are investing heavily, where Americans have been for years, but where the changing economic climate is making things very interesting and where there's a strong presence of socialist and communist forces. We have got shifting uh, markets in terms of the global economy, in terms of food production. America is becoming more reliant on South America to produce its foods. We're overbuilt. We're undersold. We're overextended credit-wise. I mean, it, it's just there are so many facets. We've become a nation tolerant of torture and violation of human rights abuses while trying to speak on a moral high horse to the rest of the world about human rights and abuse issues. We've got instability in China because as we slow our economy down and refuse to buy things, we don't buy as much from them, so they're experiencing factory layoffs. Meanwhile, they own most of our debt. And if they were to move the position of the yuan against the dollar somewhere, we could be in even further trouble. You've had huge slowdowns in the Korean economy in the last five years. The major forces of the world are shifting. Britain is having to do a bailout package. Some of the European Union countries were heavily invested in banks in Iceland, and Iceland has, for all intents and purposes, gone bankrupt. Huge numbers of retirees have taken huge hits to their pensions, and their futures are uncertain, unable to go work. They don't have access to money that they had access even a few years ago, a few months ago. I know you're about to the point where you're going to ask not for an offering plate or an envelope or for anything else, but a knife to slit your wrists because it's so depressing. The job market is tough. People have lost jobs and aren't finding them again. The thing is escalating. People are worried, and as they lose homes, there's then another problem created on the social service end of things and taxation and so forth. Why am I rambling on about all of this? Because I think it speaks to what we all hear and what we all see almost every day. And it's so difficult in the midst of all of that to keep our eyes on the ball. To keep true to the purposes for which God is called and to remain trusting and confident in Him. Because if you've put your trust in a 401k, you've misplaced your trust. If you put your trust in job stability, you've misplaced your trust. If you've put your trust in Republicans or Democrats, you've misplaced your trust. Independents are okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you've placed your trust in anything here, you've misplaced your trust.
So let's come back and look at the text for today and see what we might get as we listen and observe. First, Second Corinthians chapter 1. The subtitle of this uh, pericope, this section of scripture, is the God of all comfort, and I lifted that for my title. It starts out with praise after Paul has greeted the Corinthians in his customary way. Grace and peace be to each of you. Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. This is the God who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Now, that is an interesting and very different starting point, isn't it? It's not the, woe is me, I've lost a third of my retirement. Woe is me, my house is worth 30% in a year, less than a year ago. It's not, woe is me. It says, praise. Praise be to our God. The God who is the Father of all comfort. And who in the comfort that he extends us gives us the grace, the power, and the privilege to share that comfort and that hope, and that trust, and that power, and that certainty, and that rest with those around us. According to the way in which we've been comforted. That is a very different starting point. It is a starting point that acknowledges our position in life and things. We are not victims of a bad economy. We are child, children of a great king. We are not victims of God's neglect. We are children of privilege, blessed with the comfort that only he can give. We have certainty, death and taxes. Beyond that, the only certainty we have is in Christ, who is life and life more abundant, who is joy personified and who brings us and gives us daily our bread, our hope, and our lives. In God we trust isn't just a motto. It needs to be a reality. Because the God in whom we trust is the Father of all comfort. Are you feeling scared? Is your heart failing you for fear? Are you worried when you look around? Have gas prices changed the way you live? Is the budget tighter? Are you concerned that the world is coming to an end and you with it? The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we've received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. That's a good clarifying point, isn't it? 
We're not exempt from the sufferings. We're not exempt from the sufferings even of Christ. Why should the servant be greater than the master? But it is in and through these things. It is the flowing of these sufferings into our lives that also allows then Christ, through Christ we can comfort out of our overflows. Let's read that again. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. This is an extension of an argument that we heard in Sabbath school. The law convicts of sin. If sin abounds, how much more does what abound? Grace abound. And this is a similar argument. What's happening is if if we participate in the sufferings of Christ, if there's distress around us, how much greater is the comfort of God which flows through and in our lives? His comfort is real. His presence is sure. His grace is with us even in tough times. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. Ever seen anybody go through a distressing time with grace and dignity, hope and confidence because of the presence of Christ in their lives? Have you ever been inspired or helped by that? If we're comforted, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we've suffered. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Don't be uninformed. I, Paul, and my companions suffered mightily in Asia. We went through many terrible things. We were under great pressures. And it seemed like more than we would be able to endure. In fact, it was so bad that we despaired even of our very lives. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Who, if we are pushed even to the point of losing our very lives has the power to raise the dead. There is a hope. He has delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hopes that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. He has delivered us in the past from such a deadly peril and he will continue to deliver us. On him we have set our hopes that he will continue to deliver us. Anxious, burdened, poor, fearful, jobless, insuranceless, sick, questioning, uncertain, filled with a sense of dread or woe, depressed, overwhelmed, sick, challenged, 
worked up, stressed. Many of us are these things. And today I offer the God of all comfort in whom we not only have life but hope. In whom we participate in the sufferings of Christ and in whom we participate in the resurrection of Christ and in whom we will participate in the glory of Christ. I have no idea what happens next. I can't tell you if this is going to be like the 70s or if this is a new chapter. I can't tell you if Jesus is coming tomorrow or a month from now or 150 years from now or 100, 1,500 years from now. No man knows the day or the hour. What I can tell you what I can give you, what I can assure you of, is that if you put your hope in God, He will be your comfort. And you will not have misplaced your trust.